Hello and welcome to Captain's Corner. We'd like to take a moment to thank you, our listeners, for making this podcast such a success. We have a great lineup of guests for you to enjoy this season. So we ask you to share this podcast on your social media with your friends and family. And of course, give us a like and leave a review. Hope you guys enjoy the season. This season is sponsored by Summit Marketing, Sure Construction, and WPO Development. Thank you for being such great supporters of Captain's Corner. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Adley Charles, Divisional Music Director for the Florida Division of the Salvation Army. Welcome to Captain's Corner, Captain Andy Miller, coming to you from Tampa, Florida. I'm pleased to have on the podcast with me today, Dr. Adley Charles, who serves as the Divisional Music Director for the Salvation Army in Florida. And he attends a church where Abby and I serve, so we interact with him regularly. But he's just recently completed a dissertation and his Doctor of Worship Arts, and I'm really intrigued by his subject and much less other things that have happened in Adley's life that I just felt like even though I get to see him on a regular basis, I wanted to make sure to introduce him to you. So Adley, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Captain, for inviting me. It's an honor to uh, be in your podcast today. Great. Well, t- tell us a little bit about you. I mean, you're p- when people get to be around you, I think they'll know pretty quickly that you didn't grow up in the United States. Um, you came here um, in your teenage years. But tell us a little about who you are and some of your experiences in ministry at the Salvation Army. So, yeah, so I was, I was brought up in the Salvation Army all my life. My parents are retired officers from the Caribbean Territory. Uh, majors Adeline and Jean Charles. Okay. Um, and I was, I, believe it or not, I was born in Montreal, Canada. Okay. Um, there were stations there. The Caribbean there. territory goes farther than I remember. Yeah. So they were stationed there for about a couple years. And then I was born while I was there, but I didn't stay there that long. I think around nine to 10 months. Okay. Uh, then went back to Haiti to serve. Okay. And that's where I, had, I spent all of my elementary, all the way to middle school years. And then we moved to French Guyana okay. in uh, 1985, and we stayed there until 1990. So that kind of gives you uh, my, my early years. Yeah. Uh, and then in, back in 1990, we were sent back to Haiti, where I was a teenager then, just learning about the faith. And those, those five years before I came to the United States were very crucial in the men I am today, um, have, being surrounded by people who love the Lord, leaders who love the Lord, and um, great examples of what it takes to be a leader in a country where we don't have as much resources as the United States. Right. Could you? But I yeah. think people don't understand. I've heard people, of course, being in Florida, many uh, get to interact with many Haitians. And um, I remember hearing from Ron and Carol Busro, who are part of our congregation now, interestingly enough. But um, I remember hearing from them 15 years ago and just being really surprised to understand the scope of the army in Haiti. Could you just give us a little sense of that? I mean, the army is, it's, it's great in Haiti. And the way the army is in Haiti compared to the U.S. is totally different. We are seen as a church. Yeah, yeah. Um, our social services are still happening, but it's not the main thing you know about us. Um, Port-au-Prince Corps, which is the Corps I attended, uh, was, was, and I think it still is, one of the biggest corps in the Caribbean. Wow. Which we had over a thousand uh, soldiers attending every Sunday. Wow. And then we still have some cores in the north and in the south um, and remote areas, some up in the mountains. There's a core called Cuyo, where my, um, my auntie is from, which yeah. is way up in the mountains in the north. Um, but the people in Haiti love the Salvation Army and what we stand for, and especially the uniform. Man, every Sunday, everybody's uniform is crisp and clean. And we we wear white uniforms, all wow. white. So, which kind of changed later on to white and gray. Okay. Uh, but the the spirit, the love, the passion uh, to to worship the Lord, despite the you know the various circumstances that we have in Haiti, was something I I don't think I've ever experienced. Wow. Do you miss it? I'll, you miss it even to this day. Oh, I do. Uh, and I, I told my parents when I heard we were getting we were like, Dad, Mom, I don't want to move. Uh-huh. Well, son, it's not really a choice that we have. You know, it's part of our calling, so we're all moving. When I you went to French Guyana, that is? when you went. No, to- when I came to the U.S. Oh, okay, gotcha. Now, how'd you get to the U.S.? And- so we, in, in 95, my parents were sent to the Miami Edison Corps. Okay. Uh, which is down south. Um, 
because at the time that core was transitioning to being more Caribbean core. Right. We had some folks from Jamaica, from Haiti, uh, from, from Trinidad and some other um, countries. So they were sent there to just continue the move uh, of the Miami Edison Corps. And when we got there, Captain Eddie, believe it or not, the Corps had no music. Really? None at all. And I say, I, I have, for th- those who are listening, I have a surprise in my voice because I know the Miami Edison Corps right now is famous for its music. I mean, it's that's, that's what you would think about. I mean, it's primarily both... Uh, uh, guitars and uh, kind of praise band sort of instruments, but also a brass band too. So, yeah. So when we got there, there was uh, a retired officer from Jamaica, uh, Majors Mills and his okay. wife, who have gone to be with the Lord now, who led worship for us. And he had his accordion, right? And she was on the bass drum, and that was it. And <laughs> they were singing. Yeah. But then my parents, they never tell us, "Hey, I need you guys to, you know, play music." But we sense that, hey. We're young. We have capabilities. Let's just pick up our instrument. My brothers already knew how to play a uh, brass instrument. Mozart already knew how to play. I kind of knew how to play. And we just started playing. And as we started playing, other kids started coming to the church. And like, oh, this is interesting. What are you guys playing? Yeah. And from there, um, the core started to build. We started to get more kids coming in, uh, involved in the core and the ministry. And as soon as you came in, you were plugged in the music ministry. It was, it was not an if or but. You, you are in. That's it. Yeah. You get an instrument. And it was great. And then, you know, the Lord blessed, blessed the seeds that were planted. And today, we're still seeing the fruits of, you know, a, a loving labor of desiring to, to worship God through di- different means, not just music. but Right. And people in, ta- people in Tampa will know particularly some of that fruit is uh, Rodney Jean. And, I mean, we could go on and on. I, I, I shouldn't have said one name because there's so many. There are many. And although some, some are not still in the Salvation Army, but they are making huge impacts in their community as believers. So we're just excited for uh, God's work in their lives. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and so your, your parents were sent for that task. Now, they went back to Haiti. Is that correct? And then yes, you they stayed? went back to Haiti and we stayed for schooling. Um, all of us. When I came to the United States, I went to the 11th grade. And believe it or not, I did not speak a word of English. Amazing. I knew more Spanish than English. And I still know a little more Spanish now. But okay, um, I had to learn from scratch. I had to be in ESOL classes, English for uh, secondary uh, language speakers. Yeah. And even in college, I, I started from the bottom. I, I took the remedial math, remedial English, because my goal was I want to be able to communicate in this country. Because if you cannot communicate in this country, you're not going anywhere. Right. So that's that's kind of my story. And then from when, once I started to do well in college, um, I was introduced to Palm Beach Atlantic University, uh, okay. which is in Palm Beach, which I, I got my bachelor's in music there. And from there, I just always had a desire to do more than just music, because music to me is an avenue to bring the young and the mature in to the kingdom. But that's not enough. To me, music can be a discipleship tool, which is what we've used it in Miami Edison Corps and even now in our division. And we're trying to um, use music in the arts as a way to disciple young people and adults. Yes. And I felt that I didn't have enough. Yeah. I didn't know enough to be able to do that. So I went and got my master's in biblical studies uh, because I, I knew I needed to have a biblical foundation to be able to help um, people understand why music is so significant in worship, but also how we are to worship God as disciples, right? Um, not just through our music, but in our daily lives. And for a while, that was enough. I'm like, ah, I don't think that's still enough. Because as I was, you know, getting those degrees, the Lord was blessing me with opportunities to move into le- uh, different leadership positions. Right. And once I moved to, uh, from Miami to Tampa, um, when I received the ADMD position, I sensed even then that, I didn't have enough to be mm. able to give not to more leaders than just my little small corner in Miami where I had four cores. Yeah. Now I have an entire, you know, division to be able to support. So that's why the Lord put in my heart to pursue the doctorate in worship arts, um, to be able to uh, dig deeper into what worship is. Yeah. It's origin, why we are to worship and how we are to worship. And also to help our leaders who are in the core not burn out. Yeah, and understand yeah. why we do what we do. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my 
my passion that that came from the Lord to pursue that. And now just already trying to find ways to help our leaders to know how to live a Christian life. Yeah. So it's I love how you bring up like whenever you talk about music, you're not talking about um, for music existence by itself, but you're talking about music as a tool of discipleship. I love that. And, you know, I'll give one story. I'll probably end up, you know, people who know Salvation Army music will figure out who was who or where. I'll try to disguise or not say names. But I went to a practice of probably the greatest band in the Salvation Army's um in the Salvation Army. Um, and I won't even say where it is. How about that? And while I was there, I was I was just sitting there. Cause I'm a brass band guy, composer, music major in college. And I love it. I just love the music. It's a, kind of like my soul language, so to speak. So as I was there listening to the conductor, I mean, maybe the, one of the best band trainers in the world. And there was a moment where they were practicing a piece that was, you know, um, a secular piece, but it didn't matter I'm not making making light of it that it was a secular piece, but it was a composer outside the tradition of the army, and it wasn't a piece really connected to our any of our religious heritage. But he said about this composer, he said, "The we need this guy. We the brass band movement needs him." Now he's not wrong. He's not wrong that the brass band movement needed fresh composers, but. What was off was I realized in that moment the we that he was talking about isn't the same type of we that I'm connected. Like music in the army and music in the church needs to happen for a different focus than itself. That's right. So that was one of the that was a kind of key moment for me. And I think your connection in Miami. So as far as your jobs, help me if I have it wrong. You spent several years being the. Uh, area command music director in Miami. Then, as you said, you went and you were assistant divisional music director, and now you're the divisional music director for the Salvation Army in Florida. Did I miss that, something in there? No, that's correct. So I started the music program in Miami um, with Major Tom Overton. He's the one that hired me, and I, I owe a lot to Major Tom Overton to give me a, an opportunity to start a dream that he had. He wanted every single core in Miami to have music and arts, and for young people from all over the Miami Area Command to be able to use the talent that the Lord had given them to worship God. And it wasn't just brass. It was, you know, prison worship music. It was dance. It was theater. So I was able to do that for seven years, and um, surprisingly enough, my cousin um, is currently now the, the music director for Miami Area Command and doing great things. Yeah. I mean, his name is Mozart, so I should I, I should have I known that the Lord was going to do something with music with him, although he loves soccer, but he's doing some great things. And discipleship is amazing. He's, he's, st- he's, st- he's staying connected to so many kids who used to be there or are no longer there, but he's staying in touch with them. Nope. And, yeah, keep going. And just the Lord has been using, honestly, our whole family, the yeah. child's family, to, to disciple. Because that's what we've seen in our parents, my mom and dad, and actually my uncle, Mozart's dad and his mom. That's what they did. They invited people over their house and were intentional about loving them, caring for them. And the rest is history, just creating great leaders for the Army. It's it's, it's a beautiful testimony. Now, we could go this whole time and talk about music, but we might not ever even let people know who don't know you. What, uh, like, there is a technical side of music that that you're more than proficient, but have your expert. Tell about, like, what you do musically, um, where your gifts are. As far as instruments, so I mean, I was, I was, trained, yeah, I was trained as a classical guitar player. Okay, um, and I wanted to go into the jazz field because um, I just love jazz. It just, it's a beautiful language. Yeah, but I've always had the the brass band training, and I love the brass band um, tradition that we have in the Salvation Army. And I kind of touch and dabble on everything. But I, if you were to ask Adley Charles, what is your main instrument? I would say it's guitar, not bass uh, guitar, but. But uh, like a classical guitar, yeah, classical guitar, awesome. Um, but being I never see you play it. (laughs) (laughs) I play it, and honestly, I'm because I'm I'm helping train other people in other things. I don't really take the time to practice my guitar as I should. But whenever I have the time, I I just pick up my guitar and play some tunes, and just trying to keep keep the you know the the chords fresh in my mind. Yeah. Uh, Hey, what but, about um, uh, 
but you're a worship leader too. So you do that from piano and bass guitar, guitar at times. I mean, but, but that's part of your ministry is also being a praise and worship leader. Do you, is that accurate for me to say that? Uh, it is. And, you know, the, the, the word praise and worship leader is a word that <laughs> a worship leader, word that has a lot of uh, positive and negative connotations to it. I just say I'm a servant of the Lord. And whenever the Lord is, is needs me to be used and use my talents, it's already his. I'm just a tool that he's going to use to bring his kingdom here on earth today. Um, so whatever it is, whether it's piano or drums or, or bass, and it's not to boast. I just use whatever I have, wherever I'm needed to help bring God's kingdom through worship. Uh, yeah. And I believe that should be everybody. And, and I know sometimes in the worship music field, especially in the United States where we kind of venerate worship leaders. Right. And people lose a sense of who we're really here to worship, which is Christ. Um, I like to stay in the back, in, in the background, and really push people forward because one thing as, wor- as worship leaders or pastors or leaders in general is we're not going to be in our positions forever. Right. And we have to bring others alongside us to mentor and to give an opportunity to lead just like we were given. So to me, that's the biggest thing in and being leaders in general, and not just in the worship field, but in general, who are we raising up to take over? Yes. Um, once we're not there anymore, especially in the army, because you know we move from time to time, whether you're an officer or even a, a DND or a DND. Yeah, yeah. So, well, this is—I think that's a good uh, transition to your dissertation. So you, you did this uh, Doctor of Worship Arts at um at Liberty University, and you and I talked about it as you were working on it over the last couple of years, but I never saw it until till this week and so you told me you're doing work on moral failure and worship leaders which was really intriguing to me but i was shocked when i got the tight when i got the full academic title because it's this <laughs> modern day Korites in crisis causes yeah. and consequences of moral failure in worship leaders so i mean me even ask that question like you're a worship leader i'm sure sends all sorts of signals to people who are listening but to you too but uh, okay i think i think i know where you're going but what do you mean modern day korites so if if you know the story of the, the core tribe or the core clan their, their leader back in the old testament yeah. had a rebe- had a rebellion against you know uh, at the time that he was living and God punished him for that. And at the time, the Korites were just uh, a tribe that just almost like the Levites, their sole purpose was to lead worship um, in, in, the, in the tribe of Israel and all the tribes together to make sure that, you know, they're praising the Lord as they should. And that was it. That was their job. Nothing, yeah, that was their job. They had nothing to do with the temple or anything like that. That was the Levites, you know, who took care of the temple and all the furnishings and everything else. But the Korites... That was their job, to lead God's people in singing praises to, to, to the Lord. And their main leader failed. He rebelled, and as a, as a, as a result of his rebellion, the Lord um, punished his, his tribe. But yet, the Lord gave that tribe an opportunity to, to come back into the fold. He restored them to be able to still be used in the kingdom. And today, if we look at today's uh, you know, generations of worship leaders, there's a lot of worship failure going on. Mm. Uh, even worship failure I, or moral fa- moral failure? Moral failure, I mean. Moral Maybe failure. some worship failure, too. <laughs> <laughs> but moral failure and how worship is being done, and yeah. especially the person standing in front of a congregation. Um, but yet, today, you know, the Lord is still willing to be gracious to not only forgive, but to restore even those who morally fail in leading God's people. Mm. And it, it really hurts when you have uh, really known uh, worship leaders in the kingdom who happen to morally feel, and then, you know, you know the, how the media is, they just start saying, well, this is what the church is. Right. But no, this is what individual. This is not the whole global church. And moral failure is being done in all circles. It's not just in, in the Christian community. It's, it's in politics. It's, in every, it's everywhere. Right. And you see it everywhere. So I just wanted to find out what were the main causes that uh, in today's society, with all how the world is today, what were the main causes that would have um, worship leaders fail and, and how they would lead God's people? So yeah. that was my main focus going in with the... Well, and as we were recording this, this is February 12th, um, yesterday, 
Christianity Today, maybe you saw this, put out a, a, a full story. There was there's been inklings that it was coming, and we knew that there was moral failure with Ravi Zacharias, but now it's come out more fully yeah. after the full report, and it's awful. And um, it's disheartening to so many of us who probably uh, appreciated his ministry and benefited from it. And it's so hard to imagine, like, for me, thinking of the duplicity in his life and how he could how he could continue doing this, I'm just going to say, outstanding ministry that was not evidenced in his life. I mean, not evidenced in all of his life. And uh, they give like some accounts of, of what was involved and some of it, like, some of the, the sin that happened. He was yeah. even saying, this is my reward for serving God so well. I mean, there's a way of he was manipulating people. And of course, his involved sexual sin. Um, it's so, so hard to understand that. And, and then uh, and you're kind of thinking of it in terms of worship leaders. It, what is it that like with somebody who becomes a star, so to speak, like Ravi Zacharias was a star. If he was walking by... I would have wanted to take a picture with him. And uh, music leaders, I mean, I can think in my life, often praise and worship leaders, they get like a, a exalted position rightly and probably wrongly. Yeah, and I, I believe it's because we have the, the wrong biblical understanding of those who are leading worship. Hmm. Um, it, I remember when um, this famous show came on, it was the ABC uh, American Idol. Yeah. When that came out a, a few decades ago, it's it's like this is to me. That's what kind of started to mold what we see today in worship leaders being, you know, stars, and everybody has to dress a certain way and have their own persona, right? Where all the attention is on them and not on the cross. Wow. Yeah. And I think that's that's the church has something to do with that because we're not teaching um, our congregation what worship truly is, who the object of worship is. If we knew who the object of worship is, then all of us who are trying to worship him, whether it's through a leader or on our individual basis, right. we'll understand how to approach that. But I think we have a, the wrong view of what worship leading is and who we're supposed to worship because we live in a world, in a society where there's, people worship many things, many gods, you know? So, Do you feel like people have, worship the worship leader? Oh, of course, there are some that do. Um, they won't admit it, but you know, as as soon as somebody, a, a famous worship leader has a song, you know, you, you have fans just raving, "Oh, this is wonderful! This is beautiful!" And all of this is is because of sin. But we we just have to teach and go back to the drawing board. What is worship all about? Yeah, I want to get to that in a second. I want to reflect a little bit. I, when I was a teenager, and you and I are the same age, so um, though when I was sixteen and you were sixteen, we. Um, you weren't speaking English, so I had this other band. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I worked at a Christian bookstore, and I wanted to work at a Christian bookstore because I enjoyed Christian music. And um, at that time, the praise and worship section was this little rack. I mean, just there's this, and it was mainly like Maranatha music, and it was all this kind of, uh, the artwork was cloudy, and it was yeah. not very cool. I'll just say that, right? Uh -huh. and, it, it, and no teenagers were coming in and buying the, the worship music. And that was like kind of in one corner, but then you had all of the CCM music in it. Those those days, we're talking like DC Talk and Michael W. Smith, or I mean, I could go through all of the list of the people who were big in that time. But it's like there's been something that's interesting uh, uh, combination over the last, I'm sorry to say, now that now that I'm 40 years old, uh, over the last 20 years, where those two worlds have come together, like, or even, I don't even sense like as many like artists who are just making music to listen to, but now it's like the praise and worship artists are those um, are are the they're one the same, and so they end up. Well, being, it's, it's go ahead. Yeah. It's an industry now. Right. It's an industry. Um, That's the word I'm looking yeah, for. People are, are writing music in the CCM industry because it, it provides money for the industry and it provides fame. Um, and a lot of times you'll see it's and it's not long lasting. OK, uh, because the, our generation, you, you will shine for just a couple of days and then you're forgotten the next day. So that's why they keep pumping, pumping all these type of artists and all these new songs, all these new um, 
people that look, you know, just like the generations. And some are writing some good music, but there's right. a lot of it. It's just oohs and ahs, and Jesus is in the foreground. It's not like who we, you know, so. Yeah, so what's the point of worship? Like, you, you said that a few times, and you've hinted at it already, but, but if you say, like, what what is the point of worship that so many people are missing these days? I mean, just the fact that we're here and bear God's image, we, we were made to worship, point blank, period. That's why God made us. Okay. But as a result of sin, we push God to the side. Now we want to worship other things, things that we, we get passionate about, selfishly about. Um, it's self-centered instead of God-centered. So when sin happened, God-centered things were, got, were done away with. And everything is now, well, this is what I want. I, 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 I. So we're taking uh, all the things for ourselves. But God, through Christ, is trying to bring us back to him. But Christ is the one we worship because he's the way to the Father. Yes. I, I don't worship, you know, a Michael W. Smith or Elevation Worship. Right. I worship Christ maybe through the means of the songs that they're writing. Right. But Christ is the one that needs to be exalted. Christ is the one I need to live my life like. Christ is the one that needs to be propagated to the nations. Right. Not CCM, not, you know, all these different um, industries out there trying to make money. No. Christ needs to be glorified in all that we do. That's why we were that's why we were made. Amen. So, you know? so what is it? I mean, so part of the problem that comes of moral failure is that people get that wrong. Like that the object of worship um, and the subject of our of our worship. Uh, we you know, kind of think of Hamilton. We change the subject a little too much, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so the, but back like what, what? What would you find in your research that were the causes for moral failure? Maybe we've already hit on them, but but list them out for us. T- tell us about that so we can be aware and be cautious. I mean, selfishness is like pride. Um, when you when you as a leader, when you're given authority, uh, it's it's so easy to fall on the wayside of not following who gave you the position to bear fruit for His kingdom. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes, well, this is my kingdom. So mm-hmm. again, it's all become selfish. So pride to me is one of the main ones that we have to be aware of as leaders, period. We, like, we want people to like what we do, even with the social media, you know, uh, craze now. When we post something, we want people to like it. It's like we want the attention where the attention is not for us. God is putting us in places for seasons to bear fruit for him in his kingdom. So pride was the main one. And here in the United States, the seduction for success hmm. and how we define success is, is, is not good. Um, in our organization, even sometimes success is seen in a negative way um, because we're, sometimes we're so, so concerned about numbers. Right. Like the more we have, if we have a lot of people in the church, maybe we're doing well. Right. doesn't matter what's happening, uh, whether we're, you know, people are getting, you know, disciple or not, but. There's a lot of people who say it must be good. Right. And that's a false concept. Right. Uh, we, we need to, yeah, people can come in, but we need to disciple them. And they need to understand the basics of, of theology, right? And that is song at times. And that's why worship singing is very important because what we sing is what we're teaching people to be true. Right. So we can't just sing anything just because it's on the radio. No. What we're teaching um, um, through biblical theology has to connect in everything that we do in our prayers and the congregational songs we sing and the sermons we listen to. All of that has to bring people closer to the Lord and not away from the Lord. And I right. think sometimes in, in our churches, it's just like Burger King, have it your way. You come in. Oh, I don't like this church. I'm going to go to the next one next door or the next one next door. What we're losing. So. Seduction for successful leaders is really causing them to not only burn out, but to find themselves in moral failure. Right. And as they, you know, as you have the seduction and we have authority and leadership, a lot of leaders like to isolate. Oh. And they they don't want anyone to see what they're doing. They don't have any accountability. They don't want transparency. And I always tell the young people I talk to, isolation, except if it's to draw closer to the Lord, is very dangerous. Mm. That's when the enemy will attack you in your mind. It's a, like it's a, it's a spiritual warfare, right? I, I, I want to stop even mind. now. Like maybe there's somebody who's listening right now 
who knows that's true in their life. And like there's a section of their life that they're, they're hiding. And what would you say to them? Say to that person who's feeling convicted right now. If you're feeling convicted, run to the Lord and confess your sins. That's what he says. Confess mm -hmm. and know that he will forgive you. But don't, be, don't, don't stop there. Find somebody to keep you accountable. You need right. to have an accountability partner, somebody who's going to help you grow. None of us can grow as leaders by ourselves. Right. I mean, Christ exemplified it. He could have done everything by himself, but he, he brought in disciples and he sent them out in pairs. He didn't send them alone. Right. Just because we need accountability, transparency, and to hold each other to grow. There's so many things already putting us down in society. The church is not the place for that. Right. We need to allow people to hold us accountable. And I always tell folks as well, if we both believe in the Bible, Right. We believe that God is who he says he is, and Jesus Christ is showing us the way that we're supposed to live. And I come to you and I say, hey, my brother, my sister, um, I've seen you do this. And according to what we believe, this is not how it should be. That's not judgment. Right. People will use the judgment card so quick, but that's not judgment. It's what we believe in, and I'm just holding you accountable. Right. But people don't want accountability, and that's one reason why a lot of people fail morally and in their lives, period, whether you're a leader or not. Yeah, isolation, and, and there is a way that that's more prone to happen for leaders. And 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 you, I mean, you're making the distinction to worship leaders, music worship leaders, not just um, pastors or preachers or, or um, executives. But what is it that isolates a worship leader? For uh, it's, for me, for instance, uh, worship as a worship leader. When I was first starting, I like to isolate because I felt weakness. I felt that I wasn't good enough. Hmm. And I didn't want people to see that. So I would, although they would praise, oh, Ali, you're doing great. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, you're saying that, but in my heart, I know I'm not doing the best that I can. And I don't want you to see that because I don't want you to see me in a different way. I don't want you to not like me. Yeah. And that made me isolate myself and question myself. Am I really doing this right? You know, and trying to push myself to do things that were not godly, honestly. Yeah. Where the Lord was just wanting to use me with my gifts. And as long as I give it to him uh, as, a, as a pleasing sacrifice, he would accept it. But I was just putting a lot of pressure on myself that was not necessary hmm. because of the people I was around um, and, and desiring to show them something that I was not. I was re really living a fake life. I was really being me. I was trying to be somebody that they loved, that they want to be with. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And that made me isolate myself. And when they would ask me questions, I'd say, no, I'm fine. And I would lie. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm good. But deep within, I was broken and I was seeking people to really help hold me accountable. Right. But something in me did not want that. Yeah. This episode of Captain's Corner is sponsored by the Bed and Bread Club. The Salvation Army Bed and Bread Club helps provide food for those who are hungry and shelter for those with nowhere else to turn. You can join for as little as $10 each month. Your reoccurring gifts will pair with those who are our current members to ensure that the Bed and Bread Club can continue to be a sustainable solution to hunger and homelessness in our community. Interested? Contact the Salvation Army of Tampa at 813-226-0055 to sign up. Be a part of something greater. Join the Bed and Bread Club today. And our thanks to Summit Marketing for helping us put this plan together. God bless you. When people become better and more skilled technically, and that, and I mean that, like a lot of times that's used for good, um, like in leading worship, and uh, let's say like you do your your core, your your local church, and then all of a sudden you get invited to be in the divisional praise band, and then you get invited to participate at a territorial level, and you're uh, maybe go to different go to different Salvation Armies, and you're presenting, and these are all things that happen for you, I know, in like. And you are in front of a big group of people. Uh, yeah. You you naturally start to and, and as a preacher, I've had some of that happen where I've been a, you know brought in as a guest. And honestly, like uh, the the bigger the event that I've spoken at, the kind of nicer you get treated. <laughs> I mean, like you I, get. Uh, yeah. I'll have a person assigned to me to walk me around, to take me out to eat, to and I I. Don't walk through, I walk in the back and I'm in a green room and then I walk out and I preach and then I walk back to the green room. Um, 
that that isolation kind of comes naturally just upon the the scale of what's happening. But yeah. that and, and there's an addiction. There's it probably can be an addiction to that being the the person who's like Carter. And, and that's I mean musicians. It, this is a different level too. You I mean you're like you're not just pro- preaching. You're like actually leading. People are raising their hands in front of you and like having. Yeah emotional spiritual experiences like is that part of it too of what happens particularly for worship leaders it, it is because it's it's so easy for people to venerate us to into a place we're not supposed to be mm. and the way i broke that cycle is whenever we did youth castle events or i played with transmission or whatnot after everything was done i went and spoke to the kids that were in the car so they so they know i'm i'm no star i'm just like you yeah like I'm, I'm the same like you, and the Lord is using me, and He wants to use you. So just to affirm them, to encourage them, and not just to be seen as somebody's on stage, and you know, like I'm better than them or whatever they may think. They want to. I want to bring them back to the level that I am in. We're in the same level. I'm. Not, I'm no better than you, and the Lord wants to use you just as you are with the gifts that you have. Just you know, make sure you have your. You, you're in the right relationship with Him, and. It'll open doors. I always tell Captain, I always tell people, I'm not the best musician in the world. Right. Truly, I'm not. But what, what, what I do have, I offer my best to the Lord. And the Lord has open doors. Like, you'll never see me show off when I'm playing for anything. I just do the basic because I want, like, when we're playing praise and worship music, the music is not what's important. Right. The words that we're singing is what's important. Right. The music just accompanies it and helps you to feel emotion, which is good when you worship. Because sometimes you might, you might have, you know, you might cry, you might tear up, you might, uh, sing, you know, shout and do it. stuff like usually people don't really shout in South Carolina, but uh-huh. growing up in Haiti, people maybe would they shout did there. Yeah, I was gonna say, scream, you know, we should. And, <laughs> and it's 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 a beautiful thing to see that when people are really expressing themselves to the Lord, and honestly, they're doing it to the Lord, right? And, you know, so I never want people to see me as as an individual who's at the level that I'm not supposed to be at. I don't want them to elevate me. I want them to to help me elevate Christ. Right. Um, and if I if I could ever have a legacy um, in my life, it's I want people to see Christ in all that I do, and not me. Amen. And not what I bring to the table, but how I'm being used by the Lord to to help grow His kingdom. Amen. So you had you identified pride, seduction of success, isolation. Were there any other causes that that you identified? The biggest one for me, even in our own organization, is lack of accountability. Hmm. Um, Where do you see that? And you say in the Salvation Army, like where do you see it in the Salvation Army? When when people are not treated the same, okay. uh, Leaders don't treat uh, other minorities the same. Um, it's unfortunate, but it, it's a reality. Um, and what we need to realize is that accountability, accountability is between us and God first. But if I see you struggling, I need to come and help you out. Whether you reject me or not, my duty as your brother in Christ is to come and aid you when I see you struggling. Mm-hmm. But that's, that doesn't even happen often. And it's it's a big it's a big reason why we have so many leaders who burn out like you know this is not for me and they just I don't want to say they quit but they just say well I'm not getting the support that I need and I, I wear so many hats like you Captain you wear so many hats right right you know you're you're a pastor you're area commander you have all these things but at the same time you're a husband and yeah. you're a father yeah amen and and that's hard to manage when you don't have somebody trying to hold you accountable or keep you you know, on, on the right path and remind you of what you're supposed to do and use maybe their own experience to help you. Right. And that, so that's why I, I did use accountability and transparency in the same breath, because to be accountable, you have to be, you have to be willing to be transparent. Right. If I'm going to hold you accountable, I have to be willing to tell you how I struggled mm-hmm. and how the Lord helped me. And sometimes people who are leaders, they don't want people to know who they are. Because they don't want to be seen in that light. And it's unfortunate because the Lord will use our brokenness for his, for his glory as well. Because he wants, to, he wants people to know that although I am broken, I can restore you. And we need to be able to teach people when they are broken and when you do fail, you can be restored. Yeah, there will be consequences. But we need to restore them back into the church and give them an opportunity to grow again and not just shut the door 
And I've seen that done to so many young people in the Salvation Army, where maybe some of them got, you know, uh, had a baby out of wedlock or, or you know, they, they're abusing any sorts of substances. And when people see that, they, they start to shun them away like they don't belong. And right. that's not what the church is. Right, right. You know, we need to sit down with them and restore them and give them opportunity. Right. That's a key part of your dissertation, too. I mean, you, you spend time diagnosing the problem of what leads to it, but also, like, moving towards restoration. And I, I did the interview yesterday with Dr. Janet Dean, who's a psychology professor who specializes in interacting with sexual minorities. And uh, the, her plea to the church is to be willing to hold tension with people while maintaining biblical values and to be with people and to be, she, she calls it like a, being a holding room while people mm-hmm. are on their journey. And like I was thinking, like your kids and my kids are, go to church together and like they could be, in, they've been in many of the same classes. Um, it might be that Andy or one of the Charles boys or Titus, my son, uh, might come in and say, Jesus, Jesus and God are, 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 Jesus can't be God because God is God. Okay, so, so that's a heresy, right? But right. we would at that time say, all right, Charles boys, Miller boys, you're out of the church. You know, when you get your theology corrected, we'll have a spot for you. Um, and and, and I'm, I know you're not downplaying the the consequences of moral failure, particularly sexual, you know, failure. Um, for sure. And so like, and there's consequences that need to be played even regarding leadership. But at the same time, like we want, we, we don't want to kick people when they're down. <laughs> um, right. And I, right. that's what you're describing. Like we want to be able to be a place where we can um, have, speak the truth and love, but also lead people back to, uh, to be restored. Talk to me about that restoration process. Yeah. I, like, and to me, it's, it's hard because I, I haven't seen it. Even I was reading uh, an article that the Rabbi Zach- Zacharias Ministry put out about their findings. They had a plan of restoration. So for, you know, for those who were abused and, and, and so on and so forth. As, as a church organization, as, as, as a church period, we need to find ways to restore people back into the fold. Um, and that, that has to be done through relationships. Right. Right. Um, you, you need to have a one-on-one relationship with that individual and that person. And that also needs to involve maybe some psychologists mm. uh, to help the people deal with what they, you know, they went through so they can find restoration even in their mental state. Um, so to me, it's, it's, it's the church coming alongside and, and helping them understand that, yes, what you did in the eyes of God was sin but let's take these steps to, to restore you and walk with you. The thing is people need to have people walk along with them and not just be left alone. Right. So even having a mentor come in in the picture who checks on you every week and has conversations with you every week and gives you a plan that you can follow. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to look different for everybody. But as a worship leader, I should have a pastor I can call upon it doesn't have to be a, a salvationist uh, pastor. It could be any pastor, somebody that I can uh, get counsel from. Right. This is what I'm dealing with. You know, how can you help me with this? Or how can you pray for me? What resources can you give me to help me um, get back to it? Now, every, every church organization will have, you know, different ways where they'll say, well, at this point in your journey, now we can restore you back and start you back from, you know, from a leadership level. Maybe that's not, prominent in, in the church, mm-hmm. but give you an opportunity to be to come again to be a part of God's kingdom. Because now, as somebody who's filled, you have a testimony that people need to hear. Right. How you were lost and you you were lost in your ways and God restored you and the church still gave you an opportunity. Although there were consequences, like you cannot lead in front of everybody anymore as you did. But we can start from the from scratch and give you opportunities to lead. Maybe right. Talk to me about that. Like, what does that mean? Does it look like a, I know we can't ever say like, okay, it needs to be 60 days and then you're back. But it, what type of time frame do you think needs to be involved when there has been these type of moral failures before somebody gets back back in, engaged in, in upfront leadership? I think time frame is, is dangerous. If, okay. If you say after 60 days right, or right. 90 days, they may not get there in 90 days, 60 days. Um. 
but at the same time, I think it's good because you want to give them a pathway to see how they're progressing. Right. Um, but when, when it comes to putting, putting him back into the fold as far as leading, um, you have to take your time to make sure that, that they're, they're in the right state of mind, that their relationship is, is being restored. And it's by, I, I think it's having conversations. How's your devotional life now? Right. What are some things you're still struggling with? Why can I pray with you over and stuff? They will never be fully restored 100%. But I think as in that conversation with that individual, although it may seem to be subjective, you, you'll know when that person is ready to be able to come back to the fold as a leader to say, okay. And maybe it's with you, one-on-one. You, you get them alongside you. Hey, live with me. Watch right. me. Right. And you walk along until the, the, I believe the spirit will tell you, okay, that person is ready to, to, to start back again in a, small, a smaller role and then come back up. The beautiful thing, Captain, is when that person, whoever that individual is, when they start back up and then they go back to being, you know, in the role maybe they were before, and the Lord allows them to share their testimony about how God, the Lord restored them to the church, helped them to get back to where they know they belong and spiritually, not not in the position, but spiritually to belong back into the fold, into the body. It's a beautiful thing. And people will be blessed with that. I just, I don't like to see when people reject those who've failed and then they just close the door like you don't belong here anymore right right that's not the church right amen i love this picture we could talk about this for a long time um, but i i hope that there's some published versions of your work that can uh, come out and then it can impact other people because you you spend all this time writing 100 plus pages and um just like uh you know, it's not for you, Adley. I want to say that. It's for other people <laughs> and not for your professors at Liberty. I know you, you may need some time before you think about that. Yeah, and I was, my two of my professors who did, uh, uh, I forget what do you call that thing. Uh, when I took, uh, yeah, my defense. Oral, de- my oral. Defense. Yeah, my oral defense. They're like, you need to publish this. Uh, I said, uh I don't mind, but I have no idea what publishing would look like. And, cause it's, and they also told me there's a lot of, uh, of stuff you need to take out that may bring it down to, to somebody's level that they can understand and read and benefit from. So when they said that, I'm like, well, I, I will do that, but I, I'll need some time to just consult with some people who've already written books and then even finding a publishing company. So it's a lot. I do want to put, put it out because if you look at what's involved in the dissertation, a lot of that is happening right now. Right, sure. I mean, like we said, we just had something before we set up this interview, like in the last 24 hours, something's happened that brought it to light. Uh-huh. We'll, we'll talk. Me and you, let's talk about the publishing. Uh, so, no worries. Now, now yeah. I, I left something out. Tell us about your wife and boys. Oh, my gosh. My wife is the most amazing individual in the world. I could, I could not be who I am today without my wife, Maggie. Yeah. Um, she... She completes me. I, I'm full, she. I'm fulfilled in her and in our marriage and our relationship. Um, and she allows me to do something that I love, and that is to um, see young people and adults um, come to know the Lord and be disciples through music and the arts. Yeah. And that's countless hours a year, not in my house. Right. Right. Um, and although as as I've grown, I, I understand that. Maybe I need to start saying no to certain things and not keep saying yes. Because the need, the need will always be there. Right. But my marriage, uh, there's been a shift in my marriage where it needs to be first and not ministry anymore. And at one point, it was ministry and then marriage. But that's not biblical. My, my family is where I need to really start uh, to, to see how the Lord is going to use us. And the Lord has used us in many ways. My wife, she's not somebody that's out there for you to see, but she's doing so many things in her job, yeah. even in our neighborhood. Uh, her testimony is, is, is great. My boys, Christian and Josiah. Oh my, oh my. <laughs> Make life worth living. They ask questions. My boys never forget anything. If you say, I promise I'm going to do this, you better do it. Or they will <laughs> call you out. So they do hold me accountable. Yeah. And I try to have them involved in what I do. Um, I'm not the type of dad who will push them to follow the music field, although they've done that on their own. Like Christians learn how to play the piano on his own. He does well on the baritone. Josiah is playing the trumpet, and, you know, that's not his thing, but 
he's trying because I guess he wants Daddy to be happy. I'm like, dude, you don't have to play trumpet. Play whatever uh, you want. And yeah, this this past year, soccer has been a big thing for them, and they love it. So we've been trying to support them in soccer, and they're doing well. So my family means everything to me. Yeah. Um, and I'm just blessed. Honestly, I'm blessed to have the wife that I have. Um, Maggie. Yeah, and, and Maggie has taught uh, Financial Peace University for us here. Go ahead and give a little plug for her business. Yeah, so my wife just started Charts Financial Solutions um, last year, and it's something that she had, she had in her heart for a long time. And my wife's story is she was brought up in a single-parent home. Right. Um, and she had to deal with a lot of financial issues with you know her mom being a single parent and even her mom teaching her how to manage her money the right way. And as a result of that, she has a passion to see people, especially the young people, to learn how to save and learn how to give back to Lord what's his and, you know, tithing and how to invest and how to build wealth. And if you're if you're an individual who has a lot of, you know, credit card debts and you want to know how to get rid of it and to build a plan and it's a plan, it's not just magic. It's a plan that requires discipline. Holla at my wife. She'll help you out. She's helped a lot of people already pro bono. But, you know, after a while, you want to benefit from the enough from what you know. So she's willing to help you. And if she's not expensive at all, she and my wife will make sure she helps you to do what's right for your for your circumstances financially. So give her a holler. Yeah, uh, it's com. You can find her there and um, she'll be glad to support you and get you to a place where you can be financially free to be a blessing to others. Amen. Well, and you guys you guys are great with that yourselves, and I've, I've seen it lived out in your life. So, Adley, Dr. Charles, thank you for your time. God bless you for the work you're doing, and we're, we're looking forward to seeing how God will continue to use you and your faithfulness to Him. Next week on the podcast, we have Captain Nursan Kistan, the Salvation Army Divisional Secretary for Orange County, California. If you'd like to learn more about the Salvation Army of Tampa, check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at Sal Army Tampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.